Welcome to Stroke FM, your source of stroke news and stroke information for our awesome resident and other audiences. Welcome. Yeah, it's uh, great to be here. Uh, I'm Catherine Swicka, one of the neurology resident hosts from the U of T today. I'm Tess Fitzpatrick. I'm a stroke fellow also from the University of Toronto. And I'm Human Kostrovani, one of the stroke doctors at the University of Toronto Stroke Neurology. All of us are in University of Toronto, and we are so happy to be here. And we're glad you could join us for another episode. So the topic today is DAPT. What up, DAPT? What up? D-A-P-T. <laughs> Dual antiplatelet therapy. A common question, common in, common use of something novel and you know, more and more used. But we are here to demystify it, uh, get to some of the exciting reasons why it is useful. And some of the, the two biggest trials that have come out for minor stroke and TIA, which are chance and point. I really liked our intro there, guys. I felt a little bit like a group of cheerleaders for these two drugs that we prescribe so much as if they need more of us cheering them on. We are cheerleaders for DAF, but uh, we talked about this is only for humans. It's not indicated for any other animals like canines. Yeah, we were talking earlier in the booth, if you want to call this a booth, this undescribed location in the hospital, uh, that there was a time where everybody and their dog was almost prescribed aspirin. And now we're getting these more and more... Uh, discrete um, indications for aspirin in stroke. And now aspirin buddied up with Plavix. And that's really what we're that's here to talk right. about. They're a pair, those aspirin and Plavixes. So like, is this like an old idea, a new idea? Like, is this a new thing or has this been going on for a while? So I think it's been going on for a while. Um, it's in recent years that we are accumulating more good evidence for uh, DAPT in certain situations. But um, the use of DAPT uh, goes back to probably the early 2000s or maybe yeah. even before that. Decade, a long time ago. Yeah, and... Uh, before, before we were born. Before we were born. We maybe are very young. Of, uh, we're very we're smart. We've gone to med <laughs> school in, and residency very quickly. a bunch of grade 10 students That's recording right. in a well, hospital. What's that uh, Neil Patrick Harris character again? Uh, Doogie Hauser. Doogie, Doogie Hauser, Hauser, yes. Yeah. And there's that really funny theme song. It was like, do, 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 do. Okay, I'm going to stop. Sorry, guys. I'm sorry, listeners. I really didn't mean to subject you to that. <laughs> Uh, so back on track. So yeah, this has been an, an idea that's been around for a while. So there were earlier trials, though, um, uh, including Match and Charisma, SPS3. All of these um, looked at dual antiplatelet therapy comparing to monotherapy. And uh, at that time, were negative. It looked like patients didn't have a benefit in terms of uh, reducing stroke on duals compared to single uh, antiplatelet therapy, and that the bleeding risk appeared to be higher. So uh, that was put to bed kind of for, for a while. And, but then uh, Chance came along. Yeah, and uh, Chance was an exciting trial because it really kind of made that time more discreet that we looked at it. So this was a major publication and trial in New England Journal of Medicine, which you can find in the bottom of our link, uh, in 2013 that compared aspirin and Plavix versus aspirin alone in uh, TIA or minor stroke. And it had to be given within 24 hours so I think of it like, uh, you know, everybody's running to their code strokes. We're running to our code uh, with these uh, dual antiplatelets now. Um, <laughs> That's uh, right. It's very interesting. We're prescribing as we're landing on, yeah, the, on the scene. Exactly. Just open your mouth. <laughs> 300 uh, Plavix, 160 of aspirin, coming your way. But effectively, uh, this trial wanted to substantiate if uh, dual antiplatelet therapy could be used in acute stroke, which is interesting because... Uh, you know, these antiplatelets were being used acutely in cardiovascular disease for quite some time. 
And ultimately, uh, it supported dual antiplatelet in TIA and minor stroke, and it reduced the 90-day incidence of stroke in these patients. And these strokes would receive dual, these stroke patients, pardon me, would receive dual antiplatelet for 21 days. So it was a really exciting trial, but there was a lot of controversy about it too. Um, yeah, we can get into that. And just going back to Tessa's point, like the problem with uh, like the, the knowledge we got from Match was that you know the first after the first three months, bleeding risk goes high. But Match, you know, published in two thousand and four, the issue with it is that they allowed enrollment for ischemic stroke and minor TI up to three months, and about a third of the patients, uh, you know, mean time to randomization for about a third of them was thirty one days. So we had some data, and the idea goes back a long time, but not early use, and that's yeah. where. You know, Chance was the first one out of the gates. They were published in 2013. Any ideas why it took them so, or them as in the scientific community, to think about using it sooner? Was there a concern about the bleeding risk? Like, how often have you really seen patients I don't know. on I aspirin? Mean, all, all of us being kind of Doogie Hauser-like, that was just a long time ago, we, beyond us. But uh, they, as you said, there's been signal for this for a long time, but it wasn't mm -hmm. clear that, the, the, everyone knows the stroke risk happens early, but it just wasn't clear that there was a benefit for dual antiplatelets early until really chance. And I think another issue with MATCH was that more than half of the patients had a small vessel disease um, stroke and uh, also a large proportion had kind of unknown cause of stroke. And we know that those types of stroke have a lower recurrence risk than stroke from, for example, large artery atherosclerosis. And perhaps uh, because of including so many patients with uh, lacunar strokes, uh, we lost some signal and the dual antiplatelet therapy group uh, didn't yeah. seem to have much benefit. And, you know, going back to chance, or I guess forward to chance, unfortunately, this wasn't a perfect trial either. And it was done amongst a, quite a large Asian population. And one of the criticisms is that it does lack generalizability, the US and Europe, uh, because the pattern of vascular disease is quite different in the Asian population, namely, uh, modifiable risk factors are less aggressively treated. So we're talking about tension, cholesterol, a lot more smoking, secondhand smoke, and as a result, people have more intracranial athro, which really isn't a pattern that we see as ubiquitously in North America. Yeah, so, so Chance, as you said, was a Chinese population, about 5,000 patients. We talk about how they screened a lot of people, so like they, they, they screened a lot of people, like 41,000 people, That's roughly. huge. Yeah, to get down to this 5,000 enrolled of aspirin versus aspirin plavix. And both the both of these trials do an NIH of uh, less than four, basically. Mm -hmm. So it had um, to be a mi minor stroke uh, or TIA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And they use the the other uh, criteria as well. So, uh, what is the ABCD? Two score, yeah. yeah, four or more, yeah. yeah, yeah, greater than four. And one of the key things, one of the key aspects of high risk TIA is involvement of speech, actually, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so that was chance, and um, as you said, like treatment within twenty four hours, NIH less than four. Age greater than 40, and they followed them for, I think, 90 days as well. That's right, yeah. And they did this intention-to-treat analysis, which means they analyzed people in the same box that they entered at the time of randomization, even if they crossed arms. And I think uh, that's really important to highlight, because often when we think about critically appraising trials, um, when the results aren't perfect and people say, oh, well, they didn't control for this or they didn't control for that, I personally think that when having intention to treat analysis gives it a lot more value. So it really tells you how the, in practice, when you implement therapy is going to go. Uh, so I think that was a smart move for this and probably why we saw some success. Yeah. So like, what was the main, um, I guess, before we get into the nitty gritties and the issues with chance, like what was the main 
benefit like as far as relative uh, risk of stroke reduction yeah. yeah so overall i think um that it showed that there was a benefit for the aspirin and and uh, plavix group compared with aspirin alone so in terms of the primary outcome which was stroke um it occurred in uh, 8.2% of the um, aspirin plavix group and in uh, almost 12% of the aspirin monotherapy group so this was a significant difference with a number needed to treat of of 29. So um, definitely it showed a signal in terms of decreasing ischemic stroke. And I think the important um, second thing to, to remember is that it also showed that there wasn't an increase in terms of bleeding in the dual antiplatelet group therapy group. Um, so uh, as uh, Human mentioned earlier, some of the older trials showed that there's a um, higher bleeding risk with duals. And if there's no clear benefit in terms of ischemic stroke, then it you know, what's the point? Uh, but now we know from chance that if you have a short term of dual antiplatelet therapy, there's actually no increased risk of hemorrhage. Right, exactly. And to bring it more to the patient's bedside, uh, the number that I think from this trial you can really take to your patients is say, you know, the first trial that showed a benefit for dual antiplatelet therapy in your situation is a 3.5% absolute risk reduction. And I, and I think that that's a pretty good number, especially recognizing that alternatively, you know, you don't do anything. That's right. And then the, the effect appeared to be very early. Like if you look at those uh, uh, survival or um, the probability, probability of survival, survival. yeah, mm -hmm. you see that they, they, they diverge early, probably within the first 14 days, they fall apart where uh, Plavix and Clopidogrel are um, beneficial. So that's figure one in the CHANCE trial. And then, but the benefit is sustained up to the follow-up period of about 90 days. Um, so exactly. Which again, is probably why CHANCE uh, one of the many reasons that chance uh, showed a significant difference, whereas these older trials uh, that didn't randomize people for weeks and weeks uh, didn't because that high risk period is early and we need yeah. to intervene in that time window to see a difference. That's right. Give DAPT early, but appropriately. Exactly. You sound like an infomercial there. You could be the official spokesman. That's right. <laughs> With a cape, I can see it flying in That's the wind. Right. Brought to you by... Actually, uh, you know, we're not, uh, as you know, we're like, this podcast is not sponsored by anything and has no um, any stock or anything in any drug company or any particular Sorry, thing. Sorry, listeners. Yeah. So uh, we have a disclosure, but it's all honest, good truth here. Mm -hmm. So um, so Chance was good. Like it, it gave dual antiplatelets early. It brought it on the map. Uh, it showed that the benefit was, you know, those curves separated early. The signal persisted for, for many weeks, up to 90 days. And... Um, but there, there were some issues with it, right? Like chance, yeah. chance wasn't like the perfect trial. Yeah. So I alluded to it a little bit earlier, but really that it was not as generalizable as we would have wanted to because of a, a pattern of vascular disease in the Asian population. So uh, the community, scientific community, really wanted to bring it to North America. Um, but this time when they did it, they didn't want to just reproduce the exact same because even the subgroup analysis in chance said that even the people with intracranial, without intracranial apthro did well. So they made this beautiful, I think, beautiful study called Point. Right. And yeah, aside from the, the sort of subpopulation, which was kind of interesting, right? Like the, 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 the Chinese population, and part of them could be from the Han descent, which is like a, reach, like a type of um, descent in China. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They, they have like mutations in uh, mm -hmm. CYPP450, which makes them uh, alter their metabolism of uh, Plavix or Clopidogrel. Um, the actual name. So, and clopidogrel, it turns out, is actually like a pro-drug type thing. It doesn't, it's, it's biologically inactive until it goes through the liver. My oh, understanding. interesting. Yeah. You know that. 
And so some of these folks wouldn't have really like gotten the benefit. And it's that load that probably makes a big difference that overcomes that. And that that was early. That that's kind of an important thing to load this drug. But that's an interesting um, kind of thought process that their effect size may have even been bigger uh, if some of their population metabolized this drug. Uh, better and there was no genetic testing as part of this uh, trial and interestingly talking about loading it was chance uh, loaded uh, 300 milligrams of plavix as opposed to in point they did twice as much with just 600 and i don't know what do you guys do do you guys do 300 do you do 600 i ask uh, a lot of stroke staff this and there's no really great answer i find even though the literature is there i think most people do 300 but you wouldn't be wrong doing 600 yeah I think that it, we don't, I don't think, I don't have a paper to cite here, but essentially it looks like when you load, you get quicker pharmacologic action and blood levels, but mm-hmm. probably doesn't translate to a higher bleeding risk if you, if you load someone with 600 yeah. versus 300. But anecdotally, yeah, we get gun shy about 600 when someone we think has had uh, or has a high risk of bleeding or is, um, um, you know, uh, may evolve to have a bigger stroke, for example, in those uh, cases where they have a stuttering course. Mm-hmm. Um, the good point that you made, Kat, is like, what, what if they're of a Chinese descent and you know they're from a Han population? And, you know, I think in those folks, again, minor stroke, TIA suspected, I think I have no problem giving 600, actually. Mm-hmm. Why not? I like to hear that because I, I think that we're really moving in a direction of personalized medicine and uh, being in Canada, such a diverse population, we've got to think about this kind of stuff. And we have these great studies and we may as well use them, uh, but you have to be able to think critically about them. So kind of getting into point now, very similar study to Chance where they uh, randomized patients with minor stroke and TIA uh, with NIH uh, less than or equal to three with uh, aspirin versus dual antiplatelet. But the things that they did differently are for one, patients had to receive the medication within 12 hours of symptom onset, so half the time from chance and then the other thing that they did differently was instead of treating with dual antiplatelet for 21 days they did three months and then they continued to follow the patients for 90 days to look at outcomes so tess what do you think about point well i think point was a great trial uh, as kat said and it showed us basically that uh, first of all dual antiplatelet therapy in TIA or minor stroke uh, does have a benefit uh, in the north american population as well and it's not just um, a finding uh, restricted to the the Chinese population, as was in the Chance uh, trial, uh, it showed us uh, something really important that uh, the dual antiplatelet therapy group uh, had decreased risk of ischemic stroke compared to aspirin monotherapy. But actually, when they did a separate analysis um, later, they found that actually most of the benefit is within the first thirty days uh, of using dual antiplatelet therapies, and you don't need to continue duals for the 90-day period like they did, because actually after 30 days, basically the bleed risk uh, increases in the DAPT group, and there's uh, not that much benefit in terms of decreasing your secondary um, stroke risk. So there's this sweet spot, which is 30 days, which kind of similar to CHANCE, which was the 21 days. So I think taking these trials together, we now know that uh, in TIA minor stroke appropriately selected patients, dual antiplatelet therapy for 21 to 30 days, uh, can help reduce the risk of stroke without causing significant uh, increase in hemorrhage. Yeah, just from like a history perspective, it was kind of interesting, right? So what happens is uh, we talked about how MATCH was done in 2004, CHANCE comes out in 2013, and then POINT is actually conceived and first posted to clinical trials in 2009. 
but it's published almost a decade later in 2018. Mm-hmm. And, and, there, and, and that they had like issues probably with enrollment and stuff like that. But it's kind of interesting. It took, it took a, a long time, but that is one of the reasons why the duration of dual antiplatelet therapy in point is for three months because it was informed by data that came out of trials such as MATCH. Yeah. Um, and it didn't have a chance to revise this protocol given patients were already enrolled to a lower duration, sorry, a smaller duration, shorter duration as per chance. Um, and they had about 5,000 patients as well, 4,881 to be exact, randomized, exactly. And then there were, there were some key differences in the way they did the Plavix part and the aspirin part, right, guys? Yeah. So what was that all about? The one thing we already mentioned was the loading was a difference. Uh, the other difference uh, was the... a strong dose of 600. Yes, exactly. point was like, if you're going to give it, give it. Yeah, which I can see the logic, you know, if you're going to subject someone to the side effects of a drug, why not give them the full effect? Um, and then the other one was the timing, which we mentioned as well. The patients in point got their aspirin or dual antiplatelet a little bit faster, so within 12 hours. Mm-hmm. What about aspirin tests? Did they mess around with aspirin? Were they were they yeah. straight and narrow with that, or did they <laughs> no, mess around? No, I do not understand why they use such a funny dose of aspirin. I don't know uh, about you guys, the listeners, but uh, they used um, some aspirin 50 to 325 milligrams a day, which is just 50? an odd dose. Yeah, I mean, strange. here, at least, uh, and where I trained, we used 81 milligrams. Uh, yeah. I don't know where 50 came from. or well, Different life forms on the planet Earth with a diverse population <laughs> of amoebas all the way up to humans. And so the different dose of aspirin, perhaps, who knows? But yeah, yeah generally, it's, I think there's, you, know, you want to be in the 70 mm-hmm. plus range, milligram mm-hmm. range, you know, and yeah, so the, the aspirin dose was quite variable. Mm-hmm. Uh, aspirin dose per site investigator and I guess per patient, they could kind of do that. But that was an interesting kind of side gig. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this was the trial that you wanted to give these strong doses in probably the, 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 the impact exactly. Chinese population. Yeah, and I think the key is that they wanted to get bang for their buck by doing such a robust trial. They didn't want to just re- replicate chance. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and I think that they did it in quite a smart way. Right. You know, it's unfortunate that a certain group of patients had higher bleeding risks. But at the end of the day, I think it benefited us totally because one of the things I really love about stroke is we're always questioning and pushing our practices mm-hmm. to the limit. And one of the other things I see among some of our more cowboy uh, stroke staff are the subgroup analysis on points as the real benefit is in the first seven days. And some people thinking, oh, you know, maybe they should only be treated for seven days. Do you guys have any thoughts about that? Have you seen that Well, that's that interesting. Done? That's interesting. It probably comes from a, the, the sub, uh, the sub uh, you know, supplemental figure. Uh, yes. We'll talk about their primary outcomes as well. Mm-hmm. We'll get back to that. Their primary outcomes of these trials was actually quite different as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get back to that. But your point talks about, if, if, if you're a keener, uh, digging deep into the original point paper in the New England in supple- table supplemental, table four. And that's where it shows Table that, supplemental four. Yeah, key, S4. Very key. Table S4. Key figure. And it showed that that's where you're getting a statistical difference between zero and seven days. Uh, but in fact, when you look at ischemic stroke MI, because they used, what do they use outcome-wise? So unlike chance, they had some more safety outcomes. Yeah, so and composite outcome. Outcome. And composite, composite, yeah. Exactly, composite yeah. outcome. So they used a composite outcome. It wasn't like the primary outcome was not a stroke recurrence. So that composite stroke, outcome. Stroke MI or yeah. any vascular death, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's what it is. So between 8 and 90 days. That did not reach statistical significance, but it did in the seven days. So there was some data even right then before they did their subgroup and stuff to say that, you know what, the benefit is early in the first seven days. And those curves, again, do separate 
quickly and stay separated for the duration of those of the follow-up. But I think um, they they showed some other data at, a, at the National World Stroke Meeting that showed that the risk definitely continues to be high within the first four weeks. So I think if you want to just be like chill about it, you know, you put them on dual antiplatelets, so you go four weeks. If you want to be more stickler to the evidence, you do like three weeks. And if you want to be, as you said, cowboyish, and and it's probably appropriate. We have sometimes very frail patients mm -hmm. who are at risk of bleeding, who are averse to drugs. You know, the person that was taking aspirin who then stopped their aspirin because they they just they didn't want to be on meds, and then they come in with a you know a minor stroke or TIA. That patient who may be you know ninety six and easily bruises, I may be inclined to do seven days of dual antiplatelets and then and then back off, especially with the load and the maintenance that the effect probably lasts and. Yeah. Um, you know, you just give them, you always have to document, folks. You always got to say, I'm going to you know, go off label, I'm going to go rogue. Um, you can do that and just document it and Why do that. Like what they did in that Star Wars movie. That's right. Rogue One. Rogue That's One. That's right. Rogue aspirin. <laughs> beep, That's beep, right. <laughs> yeah, so I think it happens. And then the other yeah, interesting thing. You have to individualize thing, it. Individualize. Yeah, right. And then the other cool thing is like in both of these trials, the patient lands back on, on Plavix and we see a variable practice there. And I've adopted this variable thing. Like, what have you guys seen? So... You start someone who's not on any antiplatelets. They go on duels. What do they land on? You're aspirin. gonna land them on. You're yeah. gonna land them on aspirin. And I don't know why, but it's just aspirin. I, I don't know if that's because it's over the counter because we have more experience with it. That that's what I've seen. Yeah, the trial lands on Plavix. That's the thing. Certainly. If you do it by trial, if you're doing yeah. it by yeah. the book, you should go back to monotherapy with Plavix. But I think if they are naive to antiplatelets, have never been on them. Uh, then it's reasonable to go step down back to, to aspirin. But if they were on aspirin beforehand and then they have an event and you put them on DAP for their three then weeks, they go on then I think I, it would make more sense to put them on Plavix yeah. uh, unless you think they're one of these non-responders. Just because we do know that even though it's probably... Uh, more therapeutic for the physician rather than the patient. Uh, it makes us feel better knowing that we're doing something different since they stroked on the original aspirin. There is a slight, slight benefit of uh, Plavix compared with aspirin uh, in terms of um, risk reduction for stroke. Uh, and we saw that in you know the Capri trial and mm -hmm. um, there's evidence for that. Mm -hmm. uh, that's right. And then going back to one other important point, in that, uh, fa that fateful figure, S table S4, um, their hemorrhage uh, bleeding risk, um, there you know overall like there is more bleeding with duels, so it's not like duels are um, harmless. You know, harmless. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. And, so and, they, and there's some data that suggests they have a similar bleeding risk to being on warfarin. Although you know warfarin's a funny drug as well, but you know duels is not is not benign, and that's yeah. important to mention to your exactly. patients when you start patients on this. I always like to mention you know increased risk of bleeding and bruising, uh, minor or major but definitely overall benefit for stroke. And, and if you believe that patient in front of you has got a real TIA or a minor stroke, then go for it. Uh, but definitely not totally benign. For sure. And I think overall at the end of uh, the, if you compared, uh, I think at the end of one month of treatment with DAP versus single, um, it was like 0.9% uh, versus 0.4% um, ICH risk. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it is a difference, right? So you do have to think about that. Yeah, so some of these kind of interesting points about uh, point are, um, you know, like the outcome. Let's talk about the primary outcome. Just Kat, you're an epidemiology guru. What's the difference between like, like just the how good is a primary outcome that's designed to test that particular hypothesis versus these composite outcomes? Yeah, so I'll need you to help me out with the exact primary outcomes, but just in general, you know, my understanding and when I explain primary income outcomes versus composite outcomes, the primary point is a very discrete uh, outcome. So in this case, it's stroke, 
or is it cardiovascular risk or is it mortality? Whereas a composite ed cup is where you end a point is where you group all of those things together and look at them. And, you know, from one perspective, a primer endpoint answers a very concrete question, uh, but a composite endpoint may be more realistic and maybe more what a patient wants to hear. You know, you come to the patient's bedside and you say, oh, you have an X percent risk of this, an X percent risk of this, X percent risk of this. On one hand, one of those is death, and the other one could be something stupid like hiccups. And so they say, well, how do I put those things together? And that's what a composite endpoint tries to do. That's really um, cool. I never thought of it that way, actually, that yeah. for patients, maybe composite outcomes matter more. Yeah. But for, yeah, pure scientists, you'd be like, I would like you to define what your primary outcome is and just stick to that. That's mm-hmm. an interesting point. Yeah, that's exactly. Because cool. we're, you know, we're stroke doctors or stroke neurologists or whatever, and we care about stroke. But really, a lot of these patients are also at risk for MI and also at risk for other things and have shared risk factors. And uh, uh, that uh, matters to the patient probably just as much, even though we're kind of more focused on the stroke bit. Mm-hmm. Guys, this and is we- why I'm telling you clinical epidemiology is the bomb. Clinical is the bomb. Everyone's always so bored. They're like, oh, you want to do statistics all the time? It's like, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, that's my yeah. spiel. That's right. That's your plug there. Right there. Go to that. Exactly. Risk of hemorrhage was not actually, like, it's definitely higher with that, but it's not like terrible. Like mm-hmm. early on, it's like less than 1%. And then yeah. Yeah. And as you climb to that 90-day range, it gets to about, you know, you can quote like three times more likely to bleed. Three to four times, you can yeah. say, just for completeness. So, um, I get really excited about this bleeding stuff because, again, I'm trying to bring it back to the patient and say, you know, what is the patient saying about this? Yeah, what do you say when you say bleeding? So patients yeah. freak out. They talk about bleeding, bruising. Mm-hmm. I have something I say. What do you say? What do you say when they say, I'm going to, am I going to bleed? Like, what's, what's the deal with bleeding? Um, but what, like, how do you frame it yeah. to kind of get them to I think consider this treatment? TPA, it's a bit easier because we know how much of it is going to be bleeding with symptomatic, symptomatic bleeding. I think with aspirin and dual antiplatelet, it's a bit tougher. Uh, but I kind of quote these very low risks of intracranial bleeding, really maybe a little bit higher if you have a history of GI bleeding, which we still do. But it's very vague. Uh, mm-hmm. Tess, what do you I do? Think, I think you just have to break it down into uh, minor bleeding versus major bleeding. And uh, that often patients will get that if you can say, you know, that you, you will bruise more easily. If you get a cut, you'll find you'll bleed more easily. And that's usually pretty benign. But then if you talk about bigger outcomes like the intracranial hemorrhage, if you can give them, you know, there's a less than 1% risk per, per year and uh, give them numbers like that, that can be helpful. Yeah. And I usually say like bleeding is fixable, stroke is not in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, all strokes do improve. Let's mm-hmm. be honest. Like strokes have a trajectory, most strokes, unless they're devastating and massive. But most strokes improve, but bleeding is fixable, stroke ain't. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I tell folks, you know, and, bleeding is controllable, and, fixable. And remember and, that and, stroke, aside from intracranial hemorrhage, that's right? right. Yeah. That's that's why, and that's why you have to separate it, right? That's you can right. say, you know, yeah. there, there can be minor bleeding. Usually we can deal with that. Yeah. And the risk for the bad bleeding I, is this and yeah. that. That's when we're not like, what up, DAP? Then we're like, then we're like what up, DAP? Yeah. Like, what's going what on? Up? What up? What <laughs> so up? It's important. Like, it's not without harm. I mean, I think there are a lot of um, people who aren't in neurology who now heard some whisperings about DAPT and anyone has a stroke and boom, they put them on duels and then you see someone forgets to take them off of one and they end up Mm -hmm. on duels like eight months later and and no one knows why they're still on it and they come in with a GI bleed, you know? Yeah, so it or a subdural that's expanding. Yeah, that's so one that I see. You can't just apply this to everyone. It's uh, to the right population uh, within the and, right time frame and for the right duration. And I'm of the philosophy that, especially with the group of people that we're working with, which a lot of them are between the ages of 70 and 85, is, you know, stroke is a morbid condition. And 
you got to think about quality of life. And, you know, when I look at these trials, I think about how they improve quality of life. And you sometimes have to accept the risk of bleeding. There you I go. I see you're smiling. You, Cat, cats you cats like... enroll now in, our, in one of our future episodes on palliative care and stroke. Ooh. That's really important. So I think it there's going to be a special important. guest yes, on that special one. guest. But, but really, Look forward are to you the special cat. guest? <laughs> no, I'm just, I just work here. I just set up the audio equipment. No, that, you guys I, are awesome. There's, yeah. a, there's a few... Uh, you superstars and palliative that I think uh, Dr. Corsifani knows well. <laughs> uh, in any case, um, what I'm really excited about uh, about this question about bleeding, what I'm really trying to come back to is um, learning again from cardiology. I find it so interesting that cardiology has such more of a rich history of doing these really robust trials. And they've already done aspirin, they've already done Plavix, and now they've even done Tecagrelor. And now we're finally looking at Tecagrelor with Thales. And I think that's going to be an exciting study. And really what this is looking at is instead of DAPT or DAP with Plavix, it's going to be aspirin and tecagrelor. Mm -hmm. so, After this podcast, mm -hmm. we would like Versus to aspirin. all, yeah, we would like to all of you to just, every time you, you want to do DAP, just in your mind, think, what up DAP? What right? up DAP? Yeah, that's what we think when we do it. So we're not going to probably, like, so essentially, like in summary, like DAP is good. In Let's certain, go around. yeah. In certain, in certain situations, yeah. right? So here we talked about minor stroke and TIA. There are other indications, sneak peek, because this is going to allude to other episodes. But sneak peek, sneak peek, future um, episodes, future episodes. So DAPT. Other indications are symptomatic intracranial atherosclerosis. So uh, Sampras is uh, the study that uh, showed that, and we'll talk about that in a future episode. Another indication is in patients who have symptomatic. Uh, carotid stenosis and they are waiting for the revascularization procedure and then the in patients who have had a carotid stent of course they need to be on a duals for a period of time after that so those are some other indications uh right today we talked about tia and minor stroke um but certainly more to come so stay tuned and uh, i guess it sounds like we're wrapping up and i had a really weird thought guys and just like go with me on this one because I'm a nerd and because stroke is one of the places in neurology where I feel like we can really help people, I kind of think of Aspirin and Plavix as superheroes. And maybe they're Batman and Robin, but my question to you guys is, which one's Batman, which one's Robin? Wow, Ooh, that's, that's deep. deep. That's, that's deep. deep. That's <laughs> really deep, deep cut. Forget that's about right. that bigger yeah. subgroup analysis and point. That's right. SD4. So Who's listeners. Who's the sidekick, you know? I don't know. I mean, I think... Plavix is the Robin. I don't know. That's pretty cool. Okay, yeah. that's good. Yeah. That's good. What matters is they're best friends forever. They're Maybe best everyone, friends forever. Yeah, BFFs. Maybe BFF. people can take to Twitter on this one. That's right. Yeah. Dapped as your BFF. <laughs> so awesome, guys. All right, so I think that's a wrap. We will look forward to joining you in another future episode. Uh, we look forward to having you here. This, you know, our primary audience is you guys. We, we love that this is going to get out there for the trainees and... Uh, uh, we look forward to engaging with you and uh, see you next time. Signing off <laughs> on Stroke FM. Stroke FM. <laughs>